2: Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club, experience life
1: above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Happy Masters Week, everyone. This is my favorite week of the year. As most of you know, the Masters is my favorite tournament, and Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet. I've been privileged to be on those grounds every year since 2001, until COVID made it either, so no one could be there last November or severely limited the number of people this year. The Champions Dinner is tonight, and for those of you who are wondering what Dustin Johnson has on the menu for everyone, well, here you go. Appetizers, pigs in a blanket, and lobster and corn fritters. First course, house or Caesar salad. Family-style sides are mashed potatoes and spring vegetables. Main course, filet mignon and miso-marinated sea bass. Dessert, peach cobbler and apple pie with vanilla ice cream. So there you go. Now you know what to go and buy at the grocery store. And get yourself some cutouts, right, of Jack Nicklaus, Gary Player, Fred Couples, Nick Faldo, and the rest of the past champions like the ones we've been seeing at stadiums over the last year. Put those around your dining room table. Pipe in some conversational background noise, and it's going to be like you're there. Good evening, folks, and thank you for tuning in to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight I'm excited to share some of my favorite guests with you. And first up is going to be 2011 U.S. Senior Open champion Olin Brown. Olin's gotten off to a great start on the Champions Tour this season, finished tied for 11th at the Color Guard Classic a few weeks ago, so we're certainly going to talk about that. Plus, the next tournament up for them is the Chubb Classic in Naples, Florida, a place he's had some success in the past, finishing tied for second back in 2019. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll get more of his memories of playing in the Masters Tournament. Looking forward to having Owen with me. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from Matthew Lawrence. Matthew is the host of Backspin Golf, which you can hear on ESPN Radio in Lexington, Kentucky, or by going online and streaming the show at WLXG.com. It's live Sunday morning starting at 8.03 a.m. Eastern Time. Matthew was also in a number of movies and TV shows during his acting days, in particular one of my all-time favorite movies, Eddie and the Cruisers. Matthew went to Augusta National for the first time a couple of years ago, his first and only time on the property, so I certainly want to get his thoughts and memories of that, plus his thoughts on who in the field is going to be on top of the leaderboard come late Sunday afternoon. Looking forward to having Matthew as part of the show. He'll join me in about 25 minutes. Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from one of the legends of broadcasting, Mr. Ben Wright. We're going to take a walk down memory lane with him and the masters that he covered for all those years with CBS. We'll talk about, in particular, what went on behind the scenes in preparing for those broadcasts, his memories of working with legendary executive producer Frank Turkinian. We're going to ask him about whether... They were coached by Augusta National on the types of comments that they could use and what was appropriate and what was inappropriate for them to say during those broadcasts, in particular in light of broadcasters like Jack Whitaker and Gary McCord being removed from their broadcast team for references that they made. Really looking forward to having Mr. Wright back with me. He'll join me about 50 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore, which is a wonderful community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, up on Lookout Mountain. Folks, go online to the com and check out what a wonderful golf course and other amenities they have up there. Their state-of-the-art clubhouse and bar opened up last fall. You've got to see this place, folks, to believe how great it is. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend and PGA tour caddy Kip Henley said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. Folks, go online to com to see for yourself how wonderful and beautiful that place is. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Two Under. Two under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these 200 Performance Men's Briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields Sports Stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to 2UNDER.com. That's the number two, U N D R.com. 2UNDER Performance in your pants. Use code ONTHET20 for a 20% discount at checkouts, not valid on items already on sale or NCAA licensed briefs. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at TaylorMade and their TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly designed dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, It's the number one ball in golf, no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 and TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online at taylormadegolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me, and I'm honored to say this, making his ninth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Olin Brown. Let me remind you about Olin's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college golf out at Occidental College in L.A., Joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved up to be their number one player. He was named first team all conference, that's all SCIAC golfer in nineteen eighty 1980 and nineteen eighty two. And he was inducted into their golf hall of fame in nineteen ninety seven, and their golf annual MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in nineteen eighty four. He won four times out on the Corn Ferry Tour, twice in nineteen ninety one, and once in ninety three and once in ninety six. He won three times out on the regular tour, out at the Greater Hartford Open in 1998. He also won the 1999 Colonial and the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award. Over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 48 top 10 finishes and 110 top 25. Included in those five wins are two so far out on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open, and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. He's gotten off to a hot start so far on the Champions Tour this season with a tie for 11th in their last event, the Color Guard Classic, back in February. I'm rooting hard for him every week, and I'm very thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Owen, how are you, my friend?
2: Chris, you take a breath, man. It's <laughs> amazing how you do that. Uh, <laughs> okay, thanks for such a nice intro. Great to be back with you.
1: How are you, my friend? What's been going on with you? What's up with this layoff? I don't understand what's going on in I the champion uh, store
2: schedule. I'm trying to recover from not doing anything this week. It's awful, you know. I mean, <laughs> had, a, had an awfully slow start to the season. I uh, I got a nice invitation, late invitation to Hawaii, uh, and then we had well, so we played our last event in, in uh, November. Then then the 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 next event or first event of the year was the third week of January. Then we had a month off, went up, saw and played for a week, and we've had six weeks off. So uh, just getting ready to gear up again, going to uh, Chubb next week uh, in Naples. And then, then we get a nice run. We get a week off again, believe it or not, like we need it. And then uh, it's in Faraday and then uh, Birmingham for the tradition, and then uh, up to uh, Lanta for Mississippi, which is uh, it was a nice start to the year.
1: Why all the layoffs though? It might it seems like a lot of start and stop here uh, over the last several months. It it seems sorta of odd. Is there a reason behind that? Is that just how it seemed to work out? Well,
2: I mean, we we uh we tend to have a fairly slow start to the season anyway, but due to COVID considerations we've you know, lost a couple of tournaments this year and have shuffled a couple of others around to try and accommodate sponsors and fans and so forth. So uh schedule's going to be fairly tightly packed as soon as we kick into gear, but getting into gear has been a, a little bit of a challenge.
1: And like we say, as we look ahead a, a few weeks to the Chubb Classic, that's an event you've had some success at in the past. You were, were actually in a three-way playoff there back in 2019. I, you, with all the, the time off, so do you feel confident? Do, does that course suit your eye and you feel good heading into it?
2: We've got a new venue this year. we played played uh, Lely Resort the last couple of years. Um, and we're moving over to the other golf course at Tiburon. They play the, uh, Franklin Temple was Franklin. Temple is called, uh, Oh gosh, it's a, uh, uh, an Australian company. Uh, the shark shootout, uh, at the, at, they're both Greg Norman's design, but but they have 36 holes there and, uh, we're playing the other golf course. So, uh, I haven't seen it. I've heard great things about it. I really, I like Greg Norman, uh, design golf courses and i'm looking forward to going over
1: speaking of that you your uh, affinity to his designs is there a particular golf architect a uh, golf course architect that that you really like whether it's just because of uh, how the course is laid out the tradition of it you know that sort of thing just does, does mm-hmm. other than norman is there an architect that boy i you just really admire you know his his or her work
2: well i think that that you know the classics are classic for a reason. They're classic because they've stood the test of time. There's history. There's, uh, they're, they're on prime pieces of property. And so, you, you know, if you look at, you know, the courses designed by Harry Colt and Alistair McKenzie and Donald Ross and, uh, C.B. McDonald and people like that, um, Deborah Emmett, and uh, they're just tend to gravitate towards the older school style of play. Um, shot values had such a, such a they were of such importance. Uh the the game has kind of leaving some of those courses behind. And that may be a conversation for another another show, but uh yeah, I i tend to really love the old school, you know, I mean I love Pebble Beach and Cypress Point point Seminole, Pinehurst number two and uh there, there's so many great old courses. On the other hand, you know, Ben Crenshaw, Gil Hunt, but, but Corin Crenshaw, Gil Han. they they do great work nowadays too. So there are definitely horses for eras. It's like cars, you know? I mean, I'm not a car guy, but a 55 Corvette looks pretty good. <laughs> Indeed.
1: So let, let's take that last comment and, and go with it a little bit. Shot values and the artistic uh, piece of golf. It seems like we're losing some of that. The technology, obviously, is playing into it. The ball goes straighter than it, it ever has. goes further and straighter. The, equi- the equipment is allowing that to happen as well. Um, I think some of the concern about te- the technology is how far the golf ball flies, and are we going to need the length lengthen courses, and is it going to make some, uh, you know, out of date and, and no longer relevant? So there's that. The, the other part of that is the artistic value and what you have to do, and how you have to shape shots, and you know, some some holes, you know, require you to go left to right or right to left, and you've got to get get creative out there. I think we're losing some of that as well. Thoughts?
2: Well, I mean. Uh, but it's hard to argue that, you know, but this is historical, right? It goes back to, you know, Babe Ruth had the home run record and then Roger Maris broke it, but he broke it. He had eight more games to do it. And NFL season spanning to 17 games, records are going to drop left and right. Major league baseball dropped the mound because hitters couldn't hit. They dropped the mound. What was it? Six or eight inches. And that Dang. had an you know, that altering effect on, on the statistics and the record books. And so, I don't know. You know, this is a never-ending conversation. This is for sure bar talk. And man, the further you get into the night, the longer and, and more acrimonious it gets. But I tend, I tend to, to, uh, to subscribe to the theories uh, of yesteryear, where you know the the ball wanted to move offline, and it was up to the it was up to the driver to keep keep the ball in play you know. and i mean i don't mean the res in the club i mean the person swinging it and you know we've we've gotten to a point where it's just rear back swing as hard as you want people say well this is all awesome. so you know, nobody has ever been a bigger stronger athlete than jack pickling nobody ever more athletic than me nobody ever had more has ever had more speed than ben hogan so, you know it's it's an argument that it's recency bias and it's uh you know, it falls on deaf ears when you try and make that point. I mean, it's a lot like the conversation between who's the greatest player of all. Is it Jack Nicklaus? Is it Ben Hogan? Is it Tiger Woods? You know, certainly there's a lot more coverage lately, and you would have a whole host of people who would argue that Tiger Woods is the greatest player of all time, you know? And then you have people, especially from that era, who would say that Jack Nicklaus is. And then you go before Jack and you say, well, Ben, nobody ever played better golf than Ben Hogan, and yet by is a guy who won more tournaments in a single season than any other player in history. So, I mean, this is this is an eternal conversation and an eternal back and forth. But I, I love old school, old school golf, and I love the, the shot values of you know of a lot of ball and a thirty mile an hour wind, which modern players do not have to deal with.
1: Yeah, and I just. Well, one last point on this, but it it feels like the same thing is happening in golf that's happening in baseball. Right? I mean, baseball has become a home run strikeout game. There's no small ball. There's no you know when when I was you know younger and watching you know the Cardinals with all the stolen bases and you know that sort of thing and uh, you know that era of Ricky Henderson and Omar Moreno and Tim Raines stealing a hundred bases and you know, the leadoff hitter getting on and the second place batter hitting behind them or laying down a bunt, or all those sort of, you know, nuances of baseball. Now it's, you know, hitting 500 foot home runs or swinging hard three times and the ball didn't happen to get into the way, get in the way. And now I'm walking back to the dugout. I feel like the same thing is happening in golf. You know, now, you know, with Bryson hitting the ball, you know, 400 yards and that sort of thing and the ball goes straight. So, you know there's. It's a bomb game, right? We we hear bomb and gouge all the time in golf. It just feels like it's losing some of the artistry and the creativity that courses required back in the day. Now you just hit it right over.
2: Artistry and creativity, so but I don't think I don't think that there's a penalty that that's paid for you know the errant shot. So okay, so the ball carries 300 yards, right? But a ball, a ball that's designed not to travel offline travels one percent offline three hundred yards. It's thirty yards offline. You know, in the old days, that ball would have been spinning sideways and would ended up seventy five yards offline, which is, you know, you don't see flyers anymore. Uh, the, the distance control is much easier. In fact, guys are trying to figure out a way to apply spin to the shorter shots as opposed to take off spin. But you know, your point about baseball, you know. The, the problem is, is that is that we live in an era where everybody's trying to cater to the fans, right? Instead of attracting the fans for the beauty of the game, you know, to your point about 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 moving a guy over with a bunt, taking pitchers out of the game, and having um designated hitters now throughout baseball, we lose an important strategic component to the game. But to your point, guys want to see a banger get up and launch one over the fence, you know, the short porch. Well, I guess it used to be the short porch in Yankee stadium or the green monster in Fenway. You know? And and, uh, and that's really all anybody has any interest in. And, and, and we're losing touch with with things that made the little things, the subtleties that made the game great. Have that happen to it, but it certainly feels like for those of us who have kind of straddled the that that it could be headed that direction.
1: Oh, well, and getting back to golf and, I had the privilege of having Roger Chapman on the show last year. A wonderful guy, great champion. For those who aren't familiar with Roger, he won the senior PGA championship in the US Senior Open in two thousand and twelve, the year after Owen won it. And Owen Owen, you guys got, you know, paired together, played together I should say, at the at the Bass Pro Legends of Golf in twenty nineteen. What brought the two of you together?
2: We like to drink wine. <laughs> he's a good man. Uh, I like Roger, we've had a lot of fun together. He's got, he's got one of the nicest calls you'll ever see. He's a gentleman. Uh the proper English gentleman. And uh just one of those kinds of people that's easy to spend time
1: with. And oh and here we are. It's obviously Masters week, so I I'd, I'd like to get some of your memories of playing at Augusta mm-hmm. National. You played in the tournament a few times, I believe the first time being in 1998, but what do you remember about turning off Washington Road and driving up Magnolia Lane for the first time?
2: Well, I heard you say in your intro that it's your favorite week of the year golf-wise, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I mean, Augusta National is the only course that hosts a major every single year.
3: You know, you, you come off Washington, uh
2: which is a typical kind of like boulevard in the south, and there are hotels, there are waffle houses, there are Merchant stores and so forth. And you pull into Magnolia Lane. It's a very small sign with pillars and you walk in or you drive down the road and it's like, if you're a golfer, it's almost like a spiritual experience. It's an incredible, uh, rush. The first time you do it and you see this
3: beautiful white clabbered understated clubhouse, you walk in, everybody there is so, uh, welcoming and, uh, um, excited for the event,
2: you walk into the clubhouse and you walk out the other side and instead of being at ground
3: level, you're looking
2: down at the golf course. Everything is below the level of the clubhouse. I mean, literally everything single hole. And uh, it just catches you off guard because you come in on a flat main drag and you find out when you go through the clubhouse that you're on top of a hill. And then, you know, the first thing that hits you is, is a blast of bacteria growing in the trees that are located right next to the clubhouse. There's an enormous oak tree right behind, and a putting green, and then there's first tee that goes perpendicular to the clubhouse to the right, Uh, and then the ninth hole comes right back just below that, and then, of course, 10 tee is over to the left, and you can see seven green in the distance. And from the top of that hill, you can see a piece of almost every hole on the golf course. It's just an unbelievable place. And the first time that you go there uh, is something that, that, as a player, you never forget.
1: How did you go about learning the golf course and those greens the first time you played there?
2: Well, it's like trying to cram for a calculus test in one night. I mean, it's not going to happen. You know, (laughs) you get there, first of all, you're overwhelmed. It's sensory overload because it doesn't matter how much you've gone there. Uh, And one of the little perks about Augusta and the Masters is that everybody who qualifies is invited as a member up until as soon as the golf Course opens, you, you can go there and practice as many times as you want. And the problem with that is that, you know, it opens in November. Uh, in November and December and January, February, the places, it's cold and the, and the air is heavy and the corn plays forever and the greens have not near the speed that they do in the tournament. The grass is a little longer than the fairway. So while you can actually walk on the ground and get a feel for it underfoot, you can't get any, any clue what it's going to play like tournament day. For that matter, it changed from Wednesday of third week to Thursday morning, and God help you from Thursday morning to Sunday afternoon. I mean, the, the course has a, a – it's got, you know, it's like multi-personality, and uh, it's just one of those kinds of places. And, and by the way, the Masters Committee, they have a very firm hold on what, they, on what they present and what they want to present and the challenges that they want to offer the players. And it, it's, it's got so many faces and so many moods that uh, there's no way that you could possibly prepare properly the first time they walk through the doors and onto the ground.
1: You made the cut there in 99, but the final round, and I don't recall it, but the final round must have been brutal. I mean, guys were shooting 77, 78, 81, 83. What was that final round like? Well, it's
2: automatic. I mean, you're going to shoot 81 day there.
1: I mean, if you're, you know, if
2: you're just a little bit off. The greens are at such speeds and the texture of the greens, they're so firm. I the first year that I that I played there was 1998, and the first round we had wind dust in the mid 50s, which made it wow. almost impossible to figure out where it was coming from because they swirled, How hard it was blowing! I mean, you could have like number 12. We got to number 12. I remember Jay Haas played in, right in front of me, and there was a little bit of a backup, as you might imagine. And he backed off his shot two or three times, and then hit a shot after watching the first ball. In the group go over the green. He hit the green and the look of relief on his face was just extraordinary. There was no joy in it. He was just thrilled that he got it on green grass. And then the next guy hit it in the water. And so there, there's so many, there's so much variety and variation to what happens and given around on that golf course. Um, and it takes, it takes years really to learn how to play it properly. But, um, the, the golf course is, is, is one of those unique places in golf. Uh, and there are only a handful of them that are so iconic that, that, you know, they resonate with every golfer. The old course at St. Andrews, Pebble Beach, Augusta National, uh, to name just a few, you know, the, and we don't see great championships at places more like Cypress Point or Seminole or Pine Valley, but you know, they've been part of the history of the game and Shell's wonderful world of golf and other championships and so forth. But to have the same, Championship every single year, and the opening major of the year, every single year at a golf course like Augusta,
3: listen, you, you
2: know what, where the putts break without having played a practice zone. Because as a fan, we've all been watching it for how long we've been playing golf. And I think it's great that, you know, for years and years, we couldn't see the front nine, nothing ever was shown until the back nine. and Now we can see all of the golf course, and it's just magnificent in its presentation.
1: Just to take that last comment or a comment you made a moment ago, the the swirling wind. For all of us that have dreamed one day of standing on the 12th tee and trying to hit that golf shot, how do you gauge the wind? Because to your point, it swirls in there, and, and we've all seen examples of the flag blowing one way on 11, but a different way on 12. How do you try to figure out which club to pull? Well, you
2: know, it's really funny because it's, it's called the Amen Corner for a reason. It's in a corner. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't who, 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 who coined it uh, I, I could be mistaken but it was somebody like that that whoever it was that finished playing 11, 12, and 13 breathed such a sigh of relief that it became a corner but anyway it, the 12th green is at the bottom of a hill so 10 is a really downhill dog 11 is also downhill and then 12 is, a, but he is adjacent to the 11th green and goes towards Augusta Country Club. And then at that point, the players make a 180-degree turn and come back and play 13 tee shot. And so it's at a point in the golf course, the bottom of the hill, you've got 100-plus-foot pine trees everywhere. You've got the wind that whips down an open hole on 13, hits the trees behind the green, then comes back on the players on 12 on the tee shot and back up the hill on 11. Conversely, if it's downwind, you got opposite. You know, bang against the trees and turns around and comes with the players on 13. So. I think it was Ben Hogan who said he never pulled the trigger on 12 T until he felt the wind on his left cheek. Whatever it is, whatever the lore is, I don't know. You know, those things get lost in transmission. But it's one of those kind of things where, you know, you start thinking about the tee shot on 12 while you're worried about hitting the green on 11. It's an incredibly difficult shot. And you just, it's one of those kinds of holes. It's 55 yards. It's, you know, you could practically throw a baseball from the tee to the green. It's one of those kind of holes that just gives you the willies. It's short. The green is not very deep. It's a horizontal presentation. There's a bunker in front with water, and there's trouble behind it. People have actually hit a shot that looked beautiful, and the ball sailed, and they lost it over the green and the ivy behind the green. So anything can happen on that hole, and it's just one of those kind of things where you you step up there, you make your decision, you commit to your shot, and then you cross your heart and pray for the best. (laughs)
1: In those first two appearances that you had there, Gene Therese and Sam Snead, Byron Nelson, were all still the honorary starters. You sneak out there and watch them hit that shot?
2: Does a one-legged duck swim in a circle? <laughs> Hell yes. I love your analogy. So The first year the first year that I was there, I brought my son inside the clubhouse, and Gene Therese was sitting there in his green jacket and his plus fours. And I walked up to him, Therese my name is Owen Brown first time I've ever been invited to Augusta National. I just wanted to shake your hand. Tell you what, what an honor it is to meet you. My son, this would have been in 1998, would have been nine years old, going to turn 10. And I looked at him, and he was an avid golfer at that time. My son loves golf, He's young professional now, played on the corn fair. He's trying to work his way up. And I said, oh, do you know who this man is? And he looked at me, and of course, he was nine years old. He didn't have a clue. And I go, this is Gene Ferris, and he hit the most famous shot in the history of the Masters Tournament. When he won the tournament, he bowled his second shot on the 15th hole. And my son just looked at him and goes, wow. So those are the kinds of experiences. Golf is a hand-me-down game. And it's a hand-me-down, face-to-face, around a table, with a drink in your hand. It's not something that you can glean from a book. It's something from shaking a man like that, shaking his hand, and looking him in the eye, and having to say, nice to have you here. Or, very nice to meet you and th- that's the beauty of this game and it's why it's held in such reverence by the people who love it and uh
1: i'm one of those people did you play in the par threes and have uh junior on the back the
2: first year uh we were playing in the par three and Junior was actually shagging bunker shots right there, up there as we're warming up for gary player and they blew the horn wow and so you've never seen a longer face in your whole life. We've got photographs of it right now. And he looks like he looks like his life had come to an end. And thankfully, I qualified. I won Hartford in, in uh, 98 and, and was invited back. We were able to play in the Part 3 tournament, played with John Houston and um, Paula Azinger. And uh, it's one of my most cherished memories. And then, of course, in uh, 2006, when I on when I my way back, I had my daughter Alexandra on the back, too. So i had most of my kids and uh, uh, caddy for me in the Masters per three tournament. So at the age of 61, if I ever get into another tour event and I can find a way to win it uh and get invited back to Augusta, then it's my wife's turn the next time.
1: Oh, and just a couple more before I let you go. And, and I want to ask you about the tee shot on 18 there, because it looks really intimidating <clears throat> to me. You've got sort of that narrow shoot to drive the ball through. Is that a tough tee shot for you guys, or is it easy because you're just going to hit straight up the, at the bunker? Well.
2: It, it, it's shocking how narrow it is between the trees. I mean, uh, it, it, the, first of all, these, you've got to see these Georgia pines. You're in person to believe them. I mean, they're well over 100 feet tall, and they crowd the fairway. So even if even if they're set back off the fairway, their limbs are encroaching, and so it, it is just an incredibly intimidating shot. Not to mention the fact it can change its personality from one day to the next. Uh, I remember the last time I was in. I was regularly hitting six irons into the green and then the weather conditions changed overnight and the rains came in and it played much, much longer and into the wind. Played with Ben Crenshaw on Saturday, neither one of us could get home in two. And so wow. um the the hole is really it's really intimidating. Not only do you have to hit a perfect key shot line wise, but but you better bust one out there so that you you know, get a chance to
1: get home in two. Owen, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media.
2: Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, just Olin Brown. I do some TV work. I do my, my, uh, couple of annual Christmas Carl, uh, <laughs> radio shows and a couple other podcasts and, uh, and, uh, really have a good time every time we get a chance to visit. I look forward to the next time we can do it. Ah,
1: so do I. And just as a side note, folks. Of all of the individual segments that that I cut up and put out on the, on the website last year, the number one viewed, Olin Brown. So, thank you very much for that, O. What what,
2: what 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 were we talking about that
1: made everybody tune in? I mean,
2: was it 8500 Week talking about car racing? Or? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was actually last fall when we were talking Masters, so we're right back at the same spot. I hope I get the same number of listens this time, too. So, Owen, thank you so much, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe out there, and I'm looking forward to time number ten.
2: Time number ten on the way. Be well, Chris. Take care. Best to everybody.
1: Thank you, Owen. That's the great Owen Brown, one of my absolute favorites. Not only here on the show, but to watch him play golf. The guy's got a, a fantastic golf swing. Uh, his son Owen Brown Jr. coming in right behind him. I'm rooting hard for that kid to to get through. Uh, I know he's been out on the Mackenzie Tour now on the Corn Ferry Tour. Hopefully. Uh, we see him out on the PGA tour soon, and boy, wouldn't that be something to see Owen Brown and Owen Brown Jr. playing in a Masters tournament with the mom on the bag? I wonder, I wonder which bag she'd choose, but it would be uh, a huge thrill, I know, for Owen, but it would be great to see that happen. All right, before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to give a shout out to a trio of our new sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment? maybe a new driver. I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com. That's S Q A I R Z dot com and get squares 30 day money back guarantee use promo code distance for twenty dollars off remember distance comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground and folks i wouldn't tell you about it if i didn't experience it for myself i've never felt more stable in my golf swing which allows me to swing faster and launch it further squares the distance golf shoe i also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor bionic gloves Do what you do better with Bionic Loves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Loves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Loves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters. While the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And rounding out the trifecta of new sponsors this year, I want to welcome Zexio to the show. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved those clubs every year since. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio Clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold Winner for 2021. Go online to ZexioUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now back with me here on Next on the Tee is one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and people on the planet for that matter, and that's Matthew Lawrence. You guys have heard me talking about Matthew's show, Backspin Golf, for years because it's fantastic and the best way to start your Sunday mornings. You can stream it by going online to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. The show airs Sunday morning starting at 8.03 a.m. Eastern Time. Last year, Matthew was recognized by the PGA of America's Kentucky section as their media representative of the year for his great contributions to the game. Among Matthew's work on the screen is his stellar performance as bass player Salamato in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers, which is one of my all time favorite movies. You've probably seen him on shows like Saturday Night Live, Beverly Hills 90210, One Tree Hill, or 30 something. Matthew has also been a sideliner reporter for Duke and now Kentucky basketball. He's a tremendous talent and an even better friend. And I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, Matthew. How are you, my friend?
0: Well, you know, Chris, uh, thanks for having me on again. But I got to say, uh, you always do this to me. Always. Are you kidding? You have not trouble Olin Brown on the show. Really? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to Olin. How fantastic. It, that is the best explanation, and it was a great question, I have to say, of the 12th poll that I've ever heard about the wins. I mean, he's – how incredible. is? And he's talking about, oh, I played with Ben Crenshaw that day, and I played with this one, that, and now you have me? Come on. Are you kidding? I, I just hey, don't get,
1: it. That, I don't get it. Every every great lineup needs a number two hitter, my friend. And if I had to if I had to give the sign to put down a bunt no one no one bunts better than you. Oh boy.
0: Oh boy. That that's a back-end compliment if I ever heard one. Uh, <laughs> but when I thought now, uh am, am I right that Ben Wright is also on this episode of this Absolutely. great You're, podcast.
1: Yes, you are sandwiched right in between uh, two legends because you're a legend in your own right. Again, again, you know, Kentucky section, right?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, By by the way, uh, when you put as you always do, there is nobody better or more supportive on Twitter than you are. To everybody, everybody that's been on your show, you're always so great with previewing what's coming up. And so I saw what you put on Twitter. Uh, about the three of us being on talking about our 35 combined years of master's experiences. And I replied that I was like in this lineup, I was like Tommy Aaron with his 13 home runs being one <laughs> of the all the, the leading brothers in baseball with Hank 755. That's, that's what I felt. And then a friend of mine, uh, Christopher Maloney, who is wonderful, put something even better up and reminded me that I am like Brent Gretzky, who had (laughs) four points. Now hear this four points in his NHL career. And of course, Wayne had 2,857. So I, that's, you know, uh, that's how I feel in this lineup between Olin Brown <laughs> and Ben Wright. That's, that's, that's all wow. I'll say about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. great. <laughs> all
1: right, so, well, so let's jump in, right? Let's jump in and talk about the matter yeah, okay. because to your point, okay. you and Mitch, right? You guys went a couple yeah. of years ago, first time on the property for you. So the obvious question has to be, I mean, we all have expectations of what Augusta National, you know, must be like. I mean, heading into your first time on the property, I'm sure you had all kinds of expectations about what you're going to see. Talk about how your expectations met up with what the reality was.
0: Um, I had the highest expectations going there for my first time. Uh, Of course, I haven't been back. Uh, Mitch has been there a few times, patients were through the roof like everybody when they're getting ready to go. And they were so not even close to the reality of what Augusta National is. As high as my expectations were, you think because, you know, as I heard Owen say, we've been, I've been watching the Masters since, you know, for decades. And when you actually I I had butterflies in my stomach walking onto the property, and then you get there, and every – this is not – I'm the king of hyperbole, but this is not hyperbole. Every second that you're there, you're in awe of something, something around you, whether it's – there is not a blade of grass out of place on the entire property. I'm not just talking about the fairways. I'm talking about everywhere you walk. Um, it's like you're in a dream walking around Augusta National. And then, of course, you talk about the 18th hole or different holes. And you know, Olin mentioned too. For most of of the time we watched the Masters, we never saw the front nine ever. Uh, now, of course, we get to, but. The iconic holes to us are 12, 13, uh, 15, 16, 18. Those, to me, are the most iconic holes. When you actually get to, I remember walking up to the 12th, behind the 12th tee there. it, it, It was, I can't even describe the feeling you have. And looking across at the green, surrounded by the magnolias, and you've seen on TV for so long, it and it's even better than that. It's it's just, it leaves you speechless. It, it really does, speechless.
1: And Matthew, you've told the story on this show and on your own show many times, you and Mitch didn't grow up golfers or golf fans. So at, at what point in your life did, you know, the Masters become a thing for you?
0: You know it's a good question, and if I weren't as old as I am, I could probably give you an answer, but I can't remember anything anymore so <laughs> uh, i'll I'll say, I'll, I'll say uh, that's not good for a podcast, but I'll try um I can tell you this i can't I don't have a memory of you know exactly when it was, but I do know that I remember watching my idol. Seve Ballesteros. I think maybe right when I had started to play golf or just be I wasn't even playing golf. And I was so enamored with Seve about him. And the first time I saw him at Augusta playing in the Masters, I think that's where my love of the Masters really started. It was all about Seve to me. Uh, and his his when he won that jacket and stood on that egg, I get choked up. I I always get choked up on your podcast, Chris, always. <laughs> Lord, um, uh, that visual of him pumping his fist, the two of them, when he won that first green jacket, I, you know, that's really where my love of the Masters started, I think.
1: All right, so I'm going to get your emotions going 180 degrees in a in a different direction because two guys that I know at a minimum you dislike and at worst you hate are Patrick Reed and at, of at, at DeChambeau, who you like to refer to as Bryce. So let's go the other way. Are you okay. are you rooting more for them not to win or somebody else to win?
0: Oh, I always root for I'll always root for people to win. And you know, hate's a strong word. I don't hate Rice. I don't hate him. Um, I I just don't. I, I don't like him. I don't. You know. I think, and I always say this. Don't get me wrong. What he has done is nothing short of incredible. Uh, he was already a great golfer. You know, we forget. Everybody thinks, oh, he's done this and the distance and his bulking up and all this stuff. He was a great player before he did this. The risks he's taken, uh, every uh, is—it's amazing. Now, having said that, just in my opinion, as an old school, I'm sitting on the porch guy here. It appeals to me not one bit to watch him. Incredible short game—he's got an incredible putter. I mean, he's a U.S. Open champion for goodness' sake, and all that is great. I just don't enjoy watching him. I don't want to see. Somebody. So I would rather see Tony Finau hit at 320 with that short back swing that he takes, because that to me is to me alone is more incredible than somebody that looks like a long drive champion. You know, and just I mean I'm I've been watching live from the Masters and seeing him on the practice range. He did a speed drill that they were showing before. I have never seen anybody swing a golf club that hard, ever. And it's just not appealing to me. Now, having said that, yes, I don't want to see him win. I don't like watching him in the final group. But the other guy, who I won't even mention his name, I hate. And I hate him because he cheats. Period. And I don't think there's anybody that – this is not a point of contention for me, it's happened too many times, and that it, to me is inexcusable. Anytime, but especially in the game of golf, especially in the game of golf. Um, we I had a conversation. Uh, where we have a first tee of Greater Lexington now, run by my friend Brian Pettigrew, who's also the tournament director of the Barbasol Championship, and uh, we had a discussion about the first tee. And tonight they had their first clinic of the summer for kids. And it's very little about golf. And their clinics are about, they call them uh, the nine values. And we all know that when kids learn to play the game, what's the most important is life lessons that they will take with them, whether they play golf or not. The very first one is integrity the very first one that they teach kids and it is absolutely lacking in that guy that I won't mention his name it's lacking and that's an excuse to me so other than that boy <laughs> boy you really did get me turned the other way other than that <laughs> i um I, I root for people to win you know i i love you know me i mean i'm a staff i love great stories i love all the drama that's accompanied by a great story uh, as so often happens in sports. And golf is certainly no different.
1: So why do you think it is that that guy that we won't name who's cheated a bunch of times, why is he still out there? Why are we not hearing about he's been fined for this, He's he's been suspended for that? It just seems like they, he's like Teflon Don. He does it, but it, yeah. nothing ever happens to him.
0: It's a great question, and I don't know the answer. I wish I did. I don't think he's – he's uh, I don't think it's happened strongly enough where he – where it's been – you know, action has been taken either by the tour or um, – I, I, I really don't have – I wish I had an answer for that. I don't know because the, of everything you can do in golf, that's the worst. It's the worst. Right. It's damaging. It's also – people don't realize this. Talk about it enough. It's very damaging to the people he's competing against. I mean, we're talking about not only money. We're talking about guys that are trying to keep their card who may be pushed down a certain number of positions. Um, There are all kinds of ramifications. It's not just him. It's other players, and it's the game itself and the integrity of the game. And I I don't have an answer for why more hasn't happened. I wish I did.
1: So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, go back to something more positive. And if if you got invited okay. to play at Augusta National because of who you are, and I'm shocked that it hasn't happened yet, because I hear what a fantastic <laughs> golfer you are, and all the people that you know. But <laughs> yeah, but if wait, you got the I know invite. a lot
0: of people, but I know a lot of people, Chris. But I'm the only one that thinks I'm any good, and I don't even think I'm any <laughs> good.
1: So, dude. No, so no one digs you more than me. Don't ever forget that. Okay. <laughs> so let's say you get the invite from a member, somehow, some way, and you're going to go play yeah. at Augusta National. Are you nervous putting yeah. that tea in the ground? Or uh, not, is it just that uh, you, know, you played everywhere else and it's not that big a deal?
0: Or you're kidding with this question. I mean, <laughs> I can only tell you, I can only tell you, I've had, I, we've talked about this before, I have been incredibly blessed. The the places I've been able to play are all around the world um, because of, of acting and just the opportunities that I've had with celebrity golf tournaments and different things. And I can tell you, the number of courses that I've played, I'll give you an example. I was invited to a celebrity tournament in England. And... Uh, there were very few guys. I think there were 12 of us that were invited from America, and we went over there, and then the final day, of, we played at a place called The Mirror, which is inland in outside Manchester, and it's Nick Faldo's favorite inland golf course, he says. And the guy that owned The Mirror uh, was one of the wealthiest men in England, and came. he was the sponsor of this golf tournament, came up to the, us and said, asked us if we would be able to stay an extra day. We were scheduled to leave the day after the tournament. And he said, if you can, I would like to take the 12 of you to Royal Burkdale and play wow. a mini Ryder uh, Cup with these 12 English celebrities that were there. So, you know, we all talked about it. and We went, oh, okay, we'll stay. I guess we can, you know, we'll stay. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this guy had a, a helicopter, a big helicopter. We all got on this helicopter and we flew to Royal Birkdale the next morning. And there were 24 of us, the golf, there were six foursomes. We each had our own cat. And putting the ball on the tee, on the first tee at Royal Birkdale, for goodness sakes. I I couldn't put the ball on the team. My hand was shaking so badly. And I'm not, uh, again, it's not hyperbole. Just being there and looking at the first fairway and going, same thing happened to me at Valley Bunyan in Ireland. Same thing happened to me at Cypress Point, which um, most people never get to play. The same, all those first keys of these iconic golf courses, if somebody told me, uh, you're going to play at Augusta National. I'm. I would be too busy throwing up into the those magnolias <laughs> to actually put the ball on the tee on the first hole. <laughs> so the answer is yes. I'd be nervous. Yes.
1: <laughs> Matthew, one more before I let you go. I got to get a pick from you. Who who are you rooting for to win? Who's your guy?
0: Well, the guy I want. I think it's kind of. The guy I want to win the most is Jordan. Um, I think what, you know, in this day and age that we live in, with there's so much trouble out there, social media, and all kinds of things, and athletes, and, oh, I hate this one, and, oh, this guy. And, uh, what Jordan has been through and since he won his last tournament four years ago, uh, when he was anointed as the next, Tiger or Jack or whatever At such a young age, what he's gone through um, has been heart wrenching to to a lot of us to watch. And so, seeing what he's done uh, in the last couple of months by winning the Bolero, and then hearing him talk about um again, I had tears in my eyes. Uh, his whole—I uh, don't know if you saw—I put on Twitter him talking about, you know, he got married in 2018 and this is the first victory he's had since he's been married. Hearing him talk about his wife Annie and how the incredible rock she has been for him, knowing what we know about his family and his sister and uh there's not a better guy on tour or really anywhere than to me than Jordan Spieth. He's the epitome of class and I I would love to see him win again at Augusta. I would just love it.
1: Love it. I'm with you 110%. That's the guy that and I love Jordan, been a huge fan of his for years. So that begs yep. one other question. How nervous yep. are you if he's got a one- or two-stroke lead on Sunday afternoon when he walks to the 12th tee?
0: Well, uh, you know, it's a great question, and we all think about that. I mean, all of us. <laughs> especially after hearing Nolan talk about it. I'm even more nervous <laughs> now than I was before. Um, I, I, my heart will be in my throat. And you can only yeah. imagine what his will be like. I mean, he's been there, obviously, every year he's been there. Um, but he hasn't been in contention, or he hasn't been this. Or Well, now people are back to expecting him to play really well or to win because of how he's played the last couple of months. So now I think there's even more at stake. And look, in 2019, all of us remember Tiger going to that 12th tee, what happened with Molinari, what happened with Brooks Koepka? what These are the best players in the world. So Jordan, I can't even imagine what he'll be thinking as he leaves the 11th green with a one- or a two-shot lead going at 12. I guarantee you he won't hit it in the water. I can guarantee that. He might hit it in the Magnolias behind the green, or he might <laughs> hit it into the bunker, but I I don't think he'll, he'll be short. Let's just put it that way. See, I, I'm i already uh, just asking me that question and picturing him on the 12th tee. Um, now I have a knot in my stomach. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: you're, you're welcome. Matthew, okay. before I let you go, remind <laughs> our listeners how they can hear your show or shows and stay up to date with all the great things you're doing on social media.
0: Well, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, what's my Twitter account? At RealLawR05, L-A-U-R-O, and the number five. Uh, Backspin Golf, as you said earlier, uh, WLXG.com, uh, either online or with the app. Or on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at ESPN Radio Lex. And, again, I'll say, as I always do, there is nobody more supportive of all of us than you are every day and every week. And, uh, as always, thanks. I'm always honored to be on, on your show, especially when I'm sandwiched by those two peons. I mean, who? I can't believe you have me on the show with Ben Wright and Olin Brown. Jeez, I mean, really. <laughs> do better next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're
1: well, the best my yeah, friend i love yeah, you and i hope uh yeah. i hope uh, everything is well with you and uh, stay safe and uh, i already look forward to the next time i get to hear your voice you're fantastic my friend me
0: too chris can i tell you one short story in 30 seconds
1: absolutely
0: that i forgot i'll do it quick today i was doing an interview with my friend john patrick for this week's backspin I get all these spam phone calls that from all over the country. We were talking about Arnold Palmer playing in the Masters, and I looked, and I had just gotten a missed call from a number in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh, you you Freaky. want to talk about weird? Yes. Yeah. Leave you with that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stay that safe, my friend. Thank you for sharing. Now we'll catch up
3: soon.
0: Okay, bye.
1: See ya, Matthew. That's the great Matthew Lawrence, and a and a and a finer person you will not find. I love that guy. He's uh, meant a tremendous amount to me over the years. Always fun, and I certainly look forward to the next time I get to talk to him. Before I get to my next guest, Mr. Ben Wright, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance, with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize, Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
2: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgatoursuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
1: All right, now back with me is one of my all-time favorite guests, Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have him on the show because, quite frankly, in my opinion, he's the best broadcaster in golf history. The way he painted the scenes for us and put an exclamation point on the action was always spot on. Who can forget the outstanding job he did at the Masters every year and his phrase, that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ears in 1975. And I always like to remind people that it was Ben Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir, to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicholas's eagle putt on the 15th hole, during the final round of the 1986 Masters, and he used that phrase two holes and about 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used it again following Nicholas's birdie putt on 17. But Mr. Wright put his stamp all over the history of the Masters tournament and golf broadcasting for nearly three decades, and it's always an honor to have him back with me on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Wright. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is another one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have him on the show because, quite frankly, in my mind, he's the best broadcaster in golf history. The way he painted scenes for all of us and put the exclamation points on the action that we were watching is it just was all spot on and was all wonderful. Um Every year that he comes back on, there's a couple of things that uh, I like to remind everybody of. You know, we know about the 86 Masters, and we know about, yes, sir, right, by, you know, Vern Lundquist put that out there, but folks, make no mistake, Mr. Ben Wright used that phrase to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicholas's eagle putt on the 15th hole during the final round, and he did it 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used it again when Nicholas makes the birdie putt on 17. Uh, Mr. Wright has put his stamp all over the history of the Masters Tournament and golf broadcasting for nearly three decades, and it's my extreme honor to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, Mr. Wright. Thank you so much for coming back on the show.
3: I'm I'm totally delighted, Chris. And I I don't know the gentleman who was on before me. He referred to me as a peon. I'm not sure what that (laughs) (laughs)
1: means. It's Matthew Lawrence, and I'll be glad to give you his phone number and address when we're done.
3: Uh, Anyhow, uh, I agree with a a great deal of what he said. I was amazed. It was like I was talking. You know, he really hit a lot of nails on the head, Chris. Uh I you know, we don't we won't mention the the person who is a a formidable cheat. And um, I I am I am similarly upset that he's not been drummed out of the game by now. But yeah. uh,
1: why know, do you think it, that is, Mr. But, Wright? How why is he allowed to get away with the things that he has gotten away with? I'm 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 with you, and I'm with Matthew. I don't understand why the tour hasn't uh, formally disciplined him, it seems like, at all.
3: Well, they, they don't discipline anything. I mean, that slow play has been a cancer on the game for so darn long. I mean, I was writing about slow play and when I went to see Bobby Jones on his death for God's sake and that was 1971 and nothing has been done about it Chris why do we expect them to do anything it it's is it is a total disgrace however you know I happened to have seen the man in question when he was a student at Augusta. And they played at Cliff Valley Of course I designed And uh, the, the people in His team And uh, his Contacts uh, Around Warned me to be careful Of them Because I was not to leave anything Valuable around uh, You know What a terrible Indictment of a young man.
1: Wow, Mr. Ray. Let's, I want to talk about the Masters tournaments and, and your time uh, broadcasting there. But I, I really want to kind of get your perspective for what happened behind the camera when you guys would go in and start to prepare for the tournament. You know, whatever year it might have been, all the years that you were there. Was there yes. you? Know, was there something that went on at you know Augusta National? would pull you guys aside to remind you, you know, hey, here's how we want the broadcast to go, you know, be cautious. We don't want you to say this. Don't use these adjectives, all of that sort of thing.
3: Yes. We were summoned to a meeting, um, in fact, in the Butler cabin. And in my time, it was a gentleman from San Francisco, Bill Kerr, who was a stockbroker. And um, he uh, would tell us that we were not to mention money. We were not to mention the names of the celebrities connected with the tournament. So if you wanted to mention, like I did, that Fossey Zeller, before he won the Masters in 1979, had won the Andy Williams, uh, you know, in San Diego, no, no, no. You had to say Fuzzy Zella won in San Diego earlier in the year. You couldn't mention those guys. But, you know, it added to um, the pressure that you that you experienced there. And of course, I got into a load of trouble. Uh, When I called Lee Elder, the first black golfer to appear at Augusta National, having won the Houston Open the previous year, um, I I called him the leading black golfer. And I was told, no, you've got to call him the leading golfer of his race, which was, you know, I thought, splitting hairs, to say the least. But, you you know, you had to realize that this is a very special place and they're going to keep it a special place. And in a certain way, now I look back and I think full power to them, you know. And, of course, I, I warned Gary McCall, my friend and colleague, That he should watch his bees and Q's, and uh, he blew it with the bikini wax and body bags uh, that he talked about, and um, was banned, of course. And many, many years earlier, my great friend and colleague Jack Whitaker was banned uh, for supposedly. Ever for calling the, uh, patrons a mob as they charged up the 18th hole. Oh, and, you know, there's something to be said for that. Uh, I love Jack. He was a truly erudite gentleman. And, um, yet it was crazy for he to use the word mob. That was not at all pleasant and quite unnecessary. And uh, you know, I, there's, there's something to be said in these day, in this day and age, where practically anything goes for some kind of discipline. And uh, I, I applaud the masters for that,
1: Mr. Ray, You mentioned Lee Elder. And we know, you know, he's joining Mr. Player and Mr. Nicholas this year for the ceremonial tee shot. And as you mentioned, you know, the first African-American player to play in the tournament, which uh, took place in 1975. But he did so in the face mm-hmm. of a lot of hostility and death threats. And you were obviously there, like you mentioned, a part of the broadcast team at that time. Was there a sense of apprehension in the air because of the threats against them and that something, you know, terrible could take place? No, I.
3: I honestly didn't
1: feel that,
3: Chris. I, I felt the reverse. I felt that everybody felt it was only right and natural for a black man to appear in the event. And it was a long time coming. And no, I I never felt there was any danger whatsoever. In fact, the
1: reverse. And Mr. Wright, I want to talk about your dear friend, Frank Turkinian, who you worked for for many years. And for those that don't know, Frank was the executive producer for CBS's golf coverage for almost 40 years. Talk about yeah. him and the expectations that he laid out for you and your peers when you guys were getting ready to broadcast an event like the Masters. He was so, uh,
3: the thing that obsessed Frank more than anything else was people talking too much and he would say on literally hundreds of occasions shut the something up and let it play and um, you know when I first looked back and saw the last day of the 1986 Masters and Nicholas's incredible triumph I was watching in the home of a uh, club pro from Connecticut, John no- John Nobilski, a real good friend of mine. And he said to me, he sat me down with a glass of Marlbeck, uh, which his wife, who was a flight attendant, uh, used to come home from uh, Argentina fully equipped with all that which I like very much and put me with this glass and he asked me afterwards what was your first and lasting impression of this compared to today and I said John the long periods of silence and I can imagine uh, only too well How Frank would be saying, shut the something up and let it play. And that was the most extraordinary experience for me, to hear so much silence. Whereas today, there's no silence at all. It's like a radio show for the blind, as I've said uh, many times, you know, but I, I really mean it.
1: And Mr. I, I read a story that said he considered the exchanges between you on the 15th hole and Henry Longhurst on the 16th hole, particularly at the 75 Masters, as one of the best storytelling moments in sports television. He also told Sports Illustrated that the reason he hired experienced writers like you and Mr. Longhurst was to put the proper words to the pictures. He wanted storytellers, and you guys were both great at that. That's a heck of a compliment.
3: Yes, it was a tremendous compliment. And um, uh, you know something? When you started talking about it, Chris, the hair stood out on the back of my neck when I remember that exchange with Henry, which was really uh, a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that, and and, uh, Matthew talked about this, a little bit in the last segment. I think Owen touched on it as well, but for most people listening today, they don't remember, but the television broadcast of the Masters didn't always include all four days, and it didn't even include all 18 holes in the final round. When CBS first started broadcasting the event, it goes back to 1956. I mean, at that time, people only saw the last four holes, and I certainly remember the broadcast not starting until the back nine on Sunday. What do you remember about those early broadcasts before you know, we got to see what the whole golf course even looked like?
3: Well, when I joined in uh, 1973, Tommy Aaron's, yeah, um, we did six holes, the last six holes, and only on Saturday and Sunday, and we rehearsed Friday and occasionally. Frank was uh, in a brutal kind of mood. We'd uh, rehearse Thursday as well. But it was two days and only six holes. And when I left, you know, after 1995 and Crenshaw, you you know, it it was all 18 holes. And I had um, the seventh hole, as a matter of fact which I believe they've absolutely destroyed um, in trying to tiger proof or whatever you like to call the thing they've done Um, they made a perfect drive and short iron into a perfectly imperfect drive and sometimes middle iron I mean sevens 60s, maybe. And uh, gee, that is even even despite the incredible equipment that they're playing with today compared to what they were playing with in my early days. Persimmon and the balladar ball. And you could cut that balladar ball as easily as you could cut through a, a pat of butter. <laughs> but you could shape it, Chris. You could shape it. That was the thing. There was so much more shot-making ability from the point of view of shaping shots uh, to, to deal with the situation at hand. It was a different game. And um I... I applaud in a funny kind of way, the DeChambeau, but I hope that he falls flat on his face. You know, because I think uh, despite his incredible physical talents and his mental acuity, he's done more to destroy the game probably than anybody.
1: Let's take that a, a step further because it's one of the things that I was talking with Olin Brown at the top of the show about is the loss of, the loss of artistry in the game, trying yes. to be creative about how to hit a shot. Have, have we lost the artistry and some of the beauty of the game by making the ball go straighter, further and all that sort of thing? So you don't have to worry about trying to be creative with your shot.
3: Totally. We've destroyed the game. The combination of people like DeChambeau and the manufacturers have destroyed the artistry of the game, as you call it. And and it's a total tragedy to me as an old fuddy-duddy that I did enjoy great shot-making ability. And I, you know, that puts me in, um, in memory of uh, Baba Watts, I mean, there was a man who shaped shots when he won. But he's fallen on hard times. And uh, he's fallen on hard times because you don't need to do that. Just hit it as hard as you can. Swing it 200 miles an hour and then go fight. I mean, shadow wing Wingfoot. I mean, it was ridiculous because he it he, well, he didn't hit you know, half the fairways, but he was so strong he just carried it out of even the Wingfoot rough. And I was an overseas member there, and I know, you know how tough that can be. And I remember good friend Tony Jack um in nineteen ooh, do, 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 um seventy four um got tangled in the rough at the first hole at the US open of nineteen seventy four at Winford took a seven and was no, no longer involved, you know. And uh Mr. Shambo would have just on the green. Made power old buddy.
1: Mister, I want to ask you about Clifford Robert. He had a reputation as a pretty hard man, very strict in enforcing uh, the rules at Augusta National. I read, you know, back then that he wouldn't allow players during a practice round to play more than one ball, and if he if you didn't, he heard it, heard about it, he'd kick you off the course. I think he actually did that to Bernard Longer way back in the day but um your your memories of clifford roberts and, and were there legendary stuff that you heard about that mr roberts would do uh for guys that uh broke some rules that uh came upon him they found out about it and then took some swift action to to show them wh- why the well, rules were in place
3: you No, know, chris i was absolutely frightened to death almost um because I, uh, Bill McPhail, who was then head of uh, CBS TV Sports, uh, told me I could broadcast the Masters if uh, Clifford Roberts approved of me. And uh, I knew all the stories about Mr. Roberts. And I never met him. And I was dragged down to his cottage. And I think I've told you the story before. He said, um You like tea boy, like most of you English and I said yes sir. And he made me drink a tea, he said he said uh, drink some tea out of Augusta Nest finest China. So I did. I and burned myself and he said, um, Talk to me, boy. And I said, well, What would you like me to talk about, Mr. Roberts He said, I don't care. Talk to me. And I started rambling on about my mediocre career. And he stopped me before two minutes were up and I said, That's enough. And I thought, I'd blown it. I thought I must have said, Something that angered him. And he said, you want to know why I stopped you so soon? And I said, yes, sir, please. Uh, thinking I'd blown it. And he said, um, "Fail brought in a Scotsman last year called Bob Ferrier. His father was Wee Bobby Ferrier, who played soccer for Scotland. And I never understood an effing word. He said, all four days, but you'll do. Have a good week. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a great, story. that's the end of that one. And I, have <laughs> got, I've got to tell you, Chris, I owe Mr. Roberts the greatest gratitude because he told uh Macphail, after I'd made my debut at fourteen in seventy three that I should be moved to a more prominent position, and I had the fifteenth hole for the next twenty six years, and so I, I can see nothing but um total wonderful uh, Perspicacity on oh, Mr. Ruff, oh,
1: Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wright, I want to get your thought on a on a couple of players heading into this year's tournament, starting with Rory McIlroy. Yes. We know that Rory started working with Pete Cowan again, and but there's always a mountain of pressure on Rory to complete the career Grand Slam at Augusta National, and he certainly had. Had his problems trying to trying to do it. I mean, he has been right there the last several years. I mean, top tens and six of the last seven years. Is this the year that Mm. that he gets it done, or does he still have too much work to do with his swing before he's going to be ready to win it?
3: That's the question, really, isn't it, Chris? Whether Pete Carm has worked his magic in such a short time, I very much doubt it. But I cannot credit. McElroy, who I love dearly, because he was once my caddy, and I I love the boy dearly. But why would he try and outdo the shadow? Why would he do that? When he was a brilliant long driver, he didn't need to. He needed to be tightening up his game. From a hundred yards in, and he's putting, which is, it is that area of the game that has let him down. And not his, not his driving until he tried to, to, uh, beat the shambo at his own game, which was totally ludicrous. But I think, because he has very few expectations, he could do quite well. But, you know, I've said that so many times, and so many times he's done something totally stupid that we've, <laughs> I wonder whether his golf brain is not a little lad to say the least. So you mentioned he caddied for you. So that
1: begs the question, when was that? Say I'm sorry. I missed you. And so the, you, uh, you mentioned that Rory McIlroy was your caddy once upon a time. When was that?
3: Oh, many, many years ago. Um, I I showed up at Royal Fort Ross with a bunch of lovely American tourists. And we um, reported for duty uh, very early on Monday morning. And it was colder than the Arctic. And um, I, I went to see the pro, Di Stevenson, who was a Welsh, believe it or not. And I said, Di, you got caddies for all my boys. And he said, of course we have. And we got a special one for you. And, of course, he summoned Rory McElroy, who had just won the club championship uh, on the Saturday and Sunday with rounds of 70 and 71. And he shouted roars. And uh, this little wave came in. And I said, well, get yourself a bull card. Sonny, and he said to me, there's no damn gold bag on this green earth, Mr. Wright. Give me yours. And I was amazed, and he was such a joy. He clubbed me and read every part, and I actually... I uh, finished with a birdie on the 18, the old 80s for a 79. Despite having started bogey double bogey when I was still freezing. And, uh, I shall never forget it. And I gave him a 50 pound note, which was strictly illegal. But, um, he said he was going to take it home to his mum and dad because they had made so many sacrifices for him. And, uh, I've loved him ever since.
1: Just a couple more before I let you go, Mr. Wright. So, um, Lee Westwood is a guy that might be coming up on his best last chance to win a Masters or win a Major for that matter. He's just a couple of weeks shy of turning 48 years old and he's played pretty well. A couple of second place finishes. I wish he would have, um, Sort of pressed the matter a couple of times instead of what appeared to be settling for second place. Your thoughts on Lee Westwood and his chances to win?
3: Um, I I wouldn't put them very highly. Um, you know, okay, they they compare him to Nicholas at the age of 46. But Nicholas had already won. <laughs> Goodness me. So many majors, Lee has won nothing. But I, you know, I would dearly love for him to do it, but I really don't give him any chance at all. I think he can finish high, but I don't think he's going to be a Masters
1: Champion. So, who do you, who do you like? Who do you think is going to be fighting it out come, uh, late su- uh, late Sunday afternoon?
3: Well, I like Justin Thomas. I like, obviously, I like Dustin Johnson. Um, I, if he's fit, um, you know, Brooks Kepka, uh, can, can never, uh, t- done away with. It. I really, my previous, your 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 previous guest Matthew, um, I I really think Jordan Speed can do it. Well, I hope you're right because I'm
1: I'm rooting hard for Jordan too.
3: That's
2: right. You mentioned <laughs>
1: your golf course at the top of our our time together, Crest Valley. Talk about uh, for for our folks that may not be aware that you designed a beautiful golf course out there in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. Talk about it.
3: Well, you know, the good news is that I tried to make it user-friendly. And it seems to have been successful in that respect because everybody loves it because it's easy to play and they want to come back time and again. But it, On the other hand, BMW Pro uh, on the Corn Ferry Tournament have uh, voted it the best course they played on their tour. So that, that gives me huge pleasure. No
1: doubt. That's fantastic. Mr. Wright, I can't thank you enough. For taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Uh, like I said at the top, and I mean it sincerely, every single time that I get to spend time with you, it's an honor and a privilege. And uh, I certainly hope we get that same privilege again here again soon.
3: Well, you better get it in <laughs> Chris, I'm 88 and a half, for God's sake. <laughs> and, uh, I know. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And I love talking to you. It's uh one of the rare pleasures in my duty.
1: I <laughs> uh, thank you for that very much. It means a great deal to me just like you do. Mr. Wright, take care, <laughs> stay safe up there and uh like I say, hopefully we get together again soon. Thank you very much indeed, Chris. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Folks that's the great Ben Wright and um it just doesn't get any better than the show tonight, in, in my opinion. You know, Olin Brown, Matthew Lawrence, Mr. Ben Wright. You want to talk about a guy that uh, spent years broadcasting, not just obviously at Augusta National, but but uh, golf tournaments, you know, week in and week out. Um, his stamp on the history of golf, by the way, that he painted that picture of Frank Turkinian, you know, guiding the way a little bit. But it's Mr. Wright's knowledge. It's the way that he painted the pictures for us, and it was the way that he knew when to say something, and I guess like Mr. Chikinian told him, when not to say something. But please, make no mistake. Go back and watch the 86 Masters, and go watch Jack Nicholas make that putt on 15 for Eagle to get himself really in the in the forefront of that tournament. And then go start, you know, work your way backwards. I mean, the job he did in 78 when, when his good friend Gary Player won, and again, then obviously again in, in previous to that 74, but that 1975 call of the what to me is the greatest Masters ever. I mean, I, I you know I as you all know, I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. I'm a huge Gary Player fan, and their wins are the most significant personally to me. And so many of us obviously love what Jack did in 1986. But when you want to talk about a duel. And what it was like back in 1975 with Tom Tom and, and Johnny Miller, just it was a guy that just wouldn't go away. And the duel that, or not duel, but the 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 battle that the three of them waged, and that 1975 Masters, and the way that Mister Wright and then Henry Longhurst called that, you know, those events on 15 when all you know all three of them came through, unbelievable. Uh, even Augusta National, and you can go Google this or go look it up on YouTube. Even Augusta National ranks that, uh, that, uh, that call in 75 as one of the best in Masters history. And that's why Frank Turkinian said what he did about, you know, about that call between he and uh, Henry Longhurst. So, um, huge honor spend time with Ben Wright. He's a, uh, he's a wonderful human being. For those of you that don't know him, um, I couldn't tell you how great that man is and to uh to be able to communicate with him off the air is uh another tremendous privilege uh that warms my heart every single time, any time that I have called or texted him. He has been as gracious and as kind as you would hope a legend in anything uh would possibly be. Ben Wright lives up to the notion that you would hope that he would be like. You know, as a sort of semi-broadcaster and, and someone doing this podcast. Um, when you first approach a gentleman like Ben Wright, it comes with a bit of trepidation because he's a legend. Uh, and how kind and how generous he has been to me over the years, unmatched. And uh, I couldn't be more thankful or privileged to have him as a part of this show as often as I have. And tonight was show number 19 that he's joined. me. So huge thank you to him. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again to Alden Brown, Matthew Lawrence, and Ben Wright for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, NextontheT.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, Matthew's twin brother and another great friend of the show, Mitch Lawrence, will be back as will one of the top PGA professionals in the state of New Jersey and anywhere else for that matter, and that's long-lost cousin John Mascari. So we're going to have a lot of fun next week. I hope you'll come back and be a part of the show with me. Folks, you can stream the show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. Folks, if you have a favorite podcasting site, Just type in next on the T in the search bar. I'm pretty sure we're probably going to be on it. And if you enjoy this show, folks, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show in their Hot 50 list. When you're on their site, click on Hot 50 at the top and you're going to get a drop down list and Hot 50 voting will come up and click on that and just type in the name of the show next on the T in my name, Chris Mascaro. I'd really appreciate your support. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
0: So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position.
2: I don't understand. Was it something I said?
0: Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com.
2: Horizonscreening.com.